Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. And this is the podcast that the North New South Wales Conference Evangelism, Personal Ministries, and Sabbath School Department produces so that we can have a conversation with different pastors and Bible workers and fired up church members about things that pertain to evangelism, topics that pertain to winning souls for Jesus. And so today I have my friend and colleague, Nathan Andrioli, joining me to talk about something really interesting. How you going, Nate? Hey, yeah, I'm going well. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today, bro, and having this conversation. We're going to talk about all, well, you guys know the podcast is entitled All Scripture is Given by Inspiration of God. Totally. And yeah. I wanted Nate on the podcast because I wanted to, he's a Bible worker who spends a lot of time sharing Scripture with people and bringing people to faith in Christ through his word, through the spoken word of Jesus, through the written word of Jesus. But it's of paramount importance that people come to believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And that is because, why, Nathan? Because it's the ultimate authority of that. Really, it's the only authority that we have in our world. It's the only truth. It's the foundational truth that we have as an as a human as human beings and we can put our faith and hope in a person we can put our faith and hope in a thing in an in an animal in a pet and those things will always let us down always let us down but we find the scriptures they're a testament to, to time like they just they're universal they last all throughout time and they've and they're an ultimate authority ultimate truth for us for hope for faith and for a future and why would it hinder us in our outreach ministry if the people we're ministering to don't come to a point where they believe that the Bible is God's inspired word to them. At the end of the day, if if that's not hap- if we are not putting people's or we're not allowing people to see the Bible as the ultimate authority, whenever you try and teach them something from the scriptures, they're not going to believe it. Whenever you try and teach them about the love of God or about heaven or about any of these things, if they're foundational truth is not found in the Bible, if they can't believe it as what God has said, then they're not gonna they're not gonna take your word for anything. So if you were a seeker and you were receiving Bible studies from someone and they presented something to you that was gonna cost you in Say order like to accept Sabbath. like ex- yeah, accepting it was gonna yeah. cause you to have to rearrange your life or make some personal sacrifices, would you be less or more inclined to accept that truth and practice that belief if you believed that the word the Bible was the word of God? God doesn't when God doesn't expect us to have a blind faith, right? He doesn't expect that from us. So like when someone asks us to do something, if they, if someone just came up to me and said, Hey, there's this thing called the Sabbath. It's on the seventh day and you have to, and God exists and you have to worship on the Sabbath and you have to rest on the Sabbath. I'd be like, man, what are you talking about? (laughs) What reason do I have to do that? I'm living a good life. I'm earning money. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. What reason do I have to do that? And And if they came to me without me knowing what the scriptures were, and without them revealing the divine inspiration in scripture, I would definitely not take that. I would not accept it. Yeah. It'd fall it'd almost be like, it'd almost be like if you say to someone, hey, this is how you have to order your life. You give them an outline of how you want them to order their life. And then they say to you, why do I have to order my life this way? And you say, because my uncle Bob said so. Yeah. Look, we <laughs> live in a like, world. Huh? We live in a world where that happens. There's so many different isms and, and belief systems there that have no real foundational basis of truth. Not only just like even just some people selling their business propositions. They're based on nothing. They're based on fables and, and they're selling them. And the, the only thing that people can rely on is their success. Oh, it's the person who's selling it to them is their success and their position, their status, their power. But 
any of that at any moment in time can be lost. So they're really basing their whole life on something that, that can fall apart in, in moments. And it usually does. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And what's the Bible to someone who has no familiarity with it and who hasn't, like the authority, there is no authority in scripture to a person who hasn't accepted the authority of the scripture. Like it, it means totally. if I said, you have to order your life this way because my uncle Bob said so, that's the equivalent of me saying, you have to order this life, your life this certain way, because the Bible says so. If they haven't come to believe and know that the Bible is God's inspired word. Totally. And it's as if you're saying, you're telling someone to follow Jesus without them having a relationship with Jesus because the word, the scripture is the words of Jesus. John says, John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus says, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have salvation, but they testify of me. So it's like you're telling someone to go and marry someone they've never met before. That's hard. That's it. I've actually been in Bible studies in the past as a young Bible worker and I'm doing my head in. I'm sharing certain truths in six, seven different ways. And it's pretty clear to me that it's clear to the person. There's interaction with the subject. There's, I can see that there's comprehension. We're walking through a course of logic, a course of thought, and the people are getting it and they're, they see it. Like they see it from the texts, but yet the Bible hasn't been accepted as authoritative. And there's not that living connection between them and the scripture. And so then it's, I'm pulling my hair out, trying to help them accept vital truth, but the Bible is not authoritative. So I've got to go back in my work with the person and connect them more deeply to a personal, living, real relationship with God through the scriptures right? and get them to actually begin to relate to the Bible personally. And I think what can potentially go wrong here is if we present, say, for instance, we present the sanctuary, we present something that's really profound, deep, or some sort of belief like state of the dead, and we hit a nerve with that person without them knowing that the scripture is the ultimate authority, without them having that relationship, we can put a stumbling block between them and Jesus. That's right. It's almost like you're wasting your time sharing anything with a person before they've come to a point. I don't. I shouldn't say that's a little bit of a strong statement. I catch myself saying things a little <laughs> too strongly sometimes. But it may be unproductive in some cases to share biblical topics with someone who isn't solidified in the word of God, like solid in their minds that the Bible is inspired and is God. And it's almost like you got to believe that God is speaking through the word or else when something challenging comes to you from the word, you're not going to accept it. And there's this really cool example of this in Matthew 18. And I don't know if you've ever considered this before. And I hope that a theologian out there can give me their assessment. Like you guys who listen to the podcast, you can interact with us by shooting. You can literally send emails to to myself, to Kate Garriga in the office, and just give us commentary on the podcast. But in, in Luke 18, Jesus is approached by a man who's wealthy, and the man begins to interact with Jesus and ask him, he says, good master, how can I receive eternal life? And Jesus' response to him was, why do you call me good? There's only one good, that's God in heaven. And I've heard a few different explanations of this response on Jesus' part, like why would he answer that way? And None have satisfied me because I've got my own I've got my own little view here. And it's not my own private interpretation. I think this is what holy men of God meant when they said this. I actually think what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to set things straight before he gets into the nitty-gritty. He's trying to help this guy to understand that you don't approach me as if you're just approaching any old good teacher. Like I'm not just your average, ordinary old good teacher. You're calling me good as if I'm just like some old dude. No. There's one who's good. That's God in heaven. When you're spoken to by the good God 
who speaks from heaven to men, you better realize it because he's going to say some things to you that if in your heart of hearts, you don't believe truly, completely that he's speaking to, you won't do it. You won't trust it. You won't commit to it. So he's, he knows, Jesus knows what's about to happen. I'm going to tell this guy to give up everything. I'm going to tell him to give up everything. And he's not going to want to do that because he just thinks I'm just some good teacher who gets some advice. He's just going to use me like he uses any other guru that he gets advice from and he can enrich himself in this world's things. Totally. In, yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting you say that because later on, what he says, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And we know what that means. The camel had to bow down and put God, had to put his knees on the ground to pass through into the city of Jerusalem. And it's the same for this rich guy. He has to bow down and acknowledge that Jesus is not only a wise man, but he's his Lord and Savior. He has to put himself above. He has to put Jesus above himself. He's not just any good teacher. Amen. It's like if you feel like God, the God of the universe, who's infinite in power and might, glory and wisdom is speaking to you, it's, yeah, sure, I can give up my house. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Sure, I'm, I'll, I'm happy to make a personal decision that will make me look silly to my neighbors in regards to yeah. God and faith. No yeah. problem. Because, but if you don't believe you're being spoken to by God, yeah, got you the obligations that, that true Christianity places upon you, you will reject the cross that God yeah. hands you. You won't accept the cross. No. But if you think God's speaking to you, you'll accept the cross. And then you find out that losing your life was actually finding it. You thought you were accepting, you thought you were embracing dying to everything. You have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And so you're like, man, I got to practice self-denial, self-sacrifice, and then serve others. And this is foreign to our natures. And so we have to die mm. to everything we are and everything we were born to be by nature. And then you go, and then you find out, oh, wow. Yeah. Whoever loses their life for his sake in the gospels, they find it. But then if you try to hang on to your life, you lost it. But, but it all starts with believing that God is speaking to you. You won't take that step. You won't make those commitments to accept the fundamental teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the Bible. That's totally um, right. Yeah. If you don't think that the Bible's from God. And that's what it's all about. That's the central reason people reject the truths of the Adventist movement. It's because they have not truly accepted the authority of God's Word. 100% totally. And just to add to what you were saying there, when you have to give up everything, you're actually, you're dying to, to anxiety. You're dying to depression. You're dying for that. You're dying to that person who has to, put all of his effort into obtaining the goods and riches and, and pleasures of this world to be happy. And you're never going to get there. You're dying to that endless pursuit of happiness with, without God. And that's what you, when you die to that person, like you said, you become, it's like you're getting a new life because he gives you all the desires of your heart. Totally. I couldn't agree more. And so, dude, have you ever been in a situation like this as a Bible worker? Like where you've got someone who you can now say, looking back, or maybe at the time you realize this person, ah, they're not accepting Jesus's will for their life in this area or this truth because they really don't, they haven't committed deeply enough to the idea that this is God's word. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Definitely have that. I can't find of a, I can't think of a specific example, but I have had those experiences. And some people might know that God is speaking to them, but just be like, I don't care. I'm out. <laughs> like... <laughs> The treasures of this world and the, the, I just love sin too much. Jesus says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So some people just love evil and they're not going to let go of it. It's what they love and they choose it and that's it. And they'll go down into oblivion with it. Totally. But, but then other people, it's just they've not really come to believe and understand that God's word can be trusted, it, that it's God speaking through it. And I think that's essential. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. 
and I think that this is strangely like being lost in our community of faith, right? The higher critical method of biblical interpretation is rife amongst us. And I don't say this to be alarmist or negative or critical. It's just true. And this idea that I can subject to God's word, his holy word, to my judgments, my assumptions, and my prejudices, doesn't mean I can't discern and use the mind that God has given me to understand the scripture and know it in its original language and understand its historical context. And all that stuff is great and good. But this kind of higher criticism where I literally believe that I am the judge of God's word, and that's just crazy. And it's, I think it weakens us. It weakens us 100%. Because if I don't believe that God's word is God's word, then why in the world would I expect other people to accept it as God's yeah. word <laughs> yeah, and totally. be one to the things that it says? And I wonder, it's, we scratch our heads and we're like, why is it that our evangelism just doesn't seem to work? Maybe it's because we don't believe that God's actually speaking in his word. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's, that's one reason. That's definitely relevant. I mean, there's periods of times, probably in my earliest days of Bible working, where I've got upset because people didn't accept it or anything. They didn't accept a certain teaching or I've, or I've gone through a whole series of studies with an intellectual who just was like lapping up all this knowledge. And we get to the end and we're like, hey, so you, we know all this stuff. Would you like to get baptized? Oh, no, no, no. And they reject you. And then that's it. They shut it down. And I believe that for part of the reason I didn't believe that 100% everything that I had shared with them was a hundred percent, uh, God's word to me. There was a couple of questions that I had with what I was teaching. And I believe that can be a huge stumbling block to ministry. If you're not convinced yourself. Um, and I see a lot of, I actually speak with a lot of, and I'm not to put them down or anything or to say that they have a lesser understanding of our, of the scriptures, but I generally have a lot of conversations with other people from other Christian denominations. And you make the assumption that they believe that this, the scripture is God's word. And you, you do certain studies with them, you get to the Sabbath and they're like, boom, no. And they shut you down. And it's, you show them clearly, clear evidence through Old Testament, New Testament, that through the Synoptic Gospels, through the epistles, through Revelation, that the Sabbath is God's holy day. And, it's, and then they come and they don't accept it. And it's because I've made the assumption that they actually never believe that the scripture is totally God's word for them. They nitpick, like you were saying, there's such a higher criticism out there that they're just saying that I can interpret scripture, whatever best suits me. Yeah, that's it. And that's really essentially higher criticism. It's just a person saying, I'll believe whatever I choose to believe. And if right. the Bible coincides with what I choose and prefer to believe, then I'll accept it. But if, when right. it doesn't, I'll accept what I, I'll decide that I, it's really, it's the making yourself God. It's like higher criticism is the extension of you will be as gods, knowing good and evil for yourself. You'll decide and you'll submit the Bible. You'll subject the Bible to your criticism and your judgment. Dude, it's funny, hey, because I used to, I'd love to hear your commentary on this, but I would always, when I was doing Bible work, ask people, like say I give a study on the word of God. At the end of that study, I would ask people if they believed that what I shared with them was compelling. Did do these evidence, and through the whole study, I'd be like, okay, do you, is this significant? Is this, do you see that this is not ordinary? I've spent a lot of time in the study, high, just really helping them to see the uniqueness of scripture. So if I showed them the sanitary laws of the Old Testament, Torah, like the laws of Moses that were you know, like way ahead of their time and ask the question, like how would an Egyptian, a freed Egyptian slave, or not he was never a slave, but a, 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 a man who grew up in Egypt and who roamed around the Near East, how would he have come into contact with this information? Like, he, how would he have known germ theory, which was just discovered 150, 200 years ago? How did he know that? Because all of the sanitary laws of Israel reflect this knowledge, this understanding. 
This is exactly what you do if you understand germ theory. And we know for a fact that none of the great empires and civilizations of that time understood germ theory. How'd the Jews know it? Yeah. Where'd that information come from? It, it, it couldn't have come from the Egyptians, the Canaanitish people, the Babylonians. None of them had it. How did they know it? And so we'll really thresh out like the evidences of God's word. This is a significant book. This is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. The claims yeah. this book's... Yeah. And so then we get to the end of the study. Okay, yeah, they can confirm. I get it. I believe it. Okay, so I have, a, I have an appeal to make. Will you this week read the Bible on three days for 10 minutes a day? I give a little assignment. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. So my appeal is I'll give you an assignment because I'm showing you here that this is God's word. And now I want you to have a relationship with God's word. This isn't about you following me or accepting what I have to say. This is about God reaching out to you through me. You cool with that? You good? Will you do it with this? I'm asking you as a friend, as a, and I want you to give me a real answer. Will you study the Bible three times this week? Because this is God's word. And then the next week when I study with them, I'll have my next study prepared. And then I'll ask them like, how'd you go, man? How's your studies? How's your reading this week? Did you pray and meditate over the word? Like nine times out of 10, they say no. No, of course. Yeah. They say no. See, this is now my job as a minister, I think, I feel. To, to, I can give the study, the second study I prepared, but then I need to, the next week, try to encourage them to study and maybe say, hey, can I call you? And we can study together for 10 minutes. We'll read something and then I'll, well, something. But I've got to get them into God's word. I've got to get them connected to God personally through his word. Because right. if I don't do that, and if they're not ingesting the word of life, they're not being changed Absolutely. from glory to glory. What do you think about that? Is that a good approach? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that reading the Bible, Jesus says you must eat. I'm, it's actually there's two types in there's two times in the Bible that I know of Ezekiel chapter three, and also in Revelation chapter ten where God says to eat the scroll to eat the scriptures and I believe that we should when we are actually God, Jesus asks us to consume the scriptures it's not just he just says have a look at it and taste it he asks us to consume it like a full meal and if we're not doing that then we're not growing in Him and it doesn't give the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal to us God's character so. Yeah, it needs to be a daily thing. And I think you're right. You need to, it's our job as ministers to, to feed people, <laughs> to feed. And if they can't eat, if they're like, if there's something wrong with them because of some past experience or some past trauma, we need to assist them in a way that we can spoon feed them and get them on the journey so that they're, they're right. That's it. You know, ancient people, they experienced hunger in the ways that we don't experience hunger today. And I would say that there are people still in the world who experience hunger the way that we in the Western world do not experience hunger. Like they just, they're not, we're not subject to the deprivations and hardships of most people in human history. And we picture Jesus walking around and his disciples walking around Judea, Galilee, the hill country. And we just think that they're like, they're, they have little bellies and they're, they're eating three meals a day and you know, just like we are. These are people who would probably go on one meal a day for long periods of time, especially when you're traveling, you're moving around, you're just eating dried fruit, nuts, whatever you can stash in your sacks Corn and stuff. Plate. You're not eating any hot meals unless you catch fish and you cook some fish. That's awesome if they're by the lake. Then they're getting like a full stomach and feeling good. But yeah, they're, they have food if there's not a famine. But I just, I'm saying this because it's important for us to realize that Jesus and his disciples went hungry a lot, like what we would consider super hungry. To them, it was normal. They're tougher, hardier, more durable people who didn't have all the food around them all the time like we do. And uh, so in John 4, the disciples go on one of their journeys. They're on a journey and they go into town to get some food while Jesus is hanging out near the well in, I don't know, the area. It's called Sychar or something. Anyways, and you know, Jesus has that interaction with the Samaritan woman and it goes really amazingly. He's fired up, filled with the Spirit, so thrilled that a woman has come to faith and seen him as he is. 
and it's just changed your life. And he's just stoked. He's just so happy. And he's just sitting there. It's almost like you could tell he's aglow. And his disciples come. Actually, his disciples come, and they had seen him talking to the woman. And they're like, hey, here's some food. And he's like, I have food to eat of, guys, that you don't know of. Like, I'm satisfied. I'm cool. Now, that statement to us is, yeah, we miss lunch, and it's our after lunch. And it's like, I've got food to eat that you know not of. Now, these are hungry people, man. Like, they don't eat all that often. Yeah. And they travel <laughs> on foot, long distances, don't shower for weeks and at a time, and live on the ground, sleep on the ground, sleep in the dirt. I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle East, but people there smell bad because they don't shower often. And this is a world where human beings stink. They all stink like things stink when you don't shower for weeks and months. And you work really hard in the sun and you sleep in the dirt and whatever. So it's a primitive world with primitive people. And here's this guy, Jesus, who's probably super hungry, but he's just so in touch with the Spirit. He's so in line with God's will. And his heart is so happy and full that he's, ah, I'm cool. I don't need to eat right now. Anyways, I'm just making this point, telling the story. Because I think like this is a metaphor in a way. We can make a metaphor out of this for what happens to us when we start to really connect with God through his word and really start to harmonize ourselves with his will. After we listen, we hear God in his word and we apply it to our lives. There's a level of satisfaction which is attained that makes us impervious to the effects of this world. It helps us to rise above the feelings of this world, the needs and wants of this world, and puts us in a different place. And so I think Jesus is experiencing that. And so a person that I'm giving Bible studies to, I think I need to try to work to get them to that place where they're reading God's word, they're applying it to their life, and they're committing themselves to it. And then they can find that satisfaction and peace and strength that comes from it. And then when we get to challenging truths, it's like they're cool because they find their satisfaction and fulfillment in God's word and Jesus. There's a perfect example later on in John chapter 6 of that very thing happening when Jesus feeds the 5,000. He shows them that he's the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And then he asks them, he says, he asks them a challenging thing. So like the disciples have been fed, the the 5,000 have been fed. And then he's got all the other disciples are there. And then he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so they understand it in this carnal sort of primitive sort of understanding that it's a physical thing. Like like they're asking him to actually literally eat the flesh and blood. But what Jesus was saying was, you have to consume my word. You have to accept my blood as your sacrifice, as a sacrifice for your sins. And then you see that some of the majority of disciples, the majority of the people, they walked away. They went away because they had a physical understanding and not a spiritual understanding of what Jesus was saying. And so then he says to his disciples, do these things offend you, right? And then, but his disciples say, you've got all the truth. So what can we do? We can't do anything because you are the truth. Because they had a living relationship with him and they had experienced him. They had actually spent time with him where the others were just like, hey, I just want to go hang out with this guy because he's this new cool guy in town and he's an awesome preacher and he's going to feed everyone. That's cool. But they missed the point that he's actually trying to put past. That's such a good point. There's, have you ever read The Pilgrim's Progress? I actually haven't, no. Yeah. I've read it. I read it to my sons like every couple of months for worship because they love it. But there's an Adventist who put together like a dramatized version and they add to it like a ton. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's one part that's not in the book, but it's in the Adventist perversion of the book. <laughs> Just, it's not a perversion, but the Adventist enhancing of the book. And it says people who will, he said, oh, if you seek Jesus to gain the world, you'll give up Jesus to keep it. Mm. And then he uses John 6 as a reference to this, how God wasn't happy. Jesus wasn't happy when people followed him for bread. Right. right if right. you're following yeah. him for, for bread, the physical bread, it's a matter of time, yeah. but you'll leave him for bread. 
Totally. That's right. So if there's a worldly reason why you're following Jesus to attain something in this world, then you'll leave Jesus to keep it. Because at the end of the day, you're not pursuing Jesus. You're pursuing what you think Jesus can give you. Yeah. You're just pursuing it yourself. It's just for yourself. It's a selfish, you're doing everything for yourself to elevate yourself, put yourself on a position where you can gain something. And we see that. We saw that. You don't in want the, to be saved from sin. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's right. I was just saying we saw that in the uh, with all the Pharisees and that they they had such a high position that they weren't willing to give that up because they thought they'd used the scriptures. When Jesus said, "You think you find salvation in the scriptures?" They attest of me, and you're not doing what I've asked you to do. So they've done it because of, they've got a position, they've got something out of it, and I think there's a big danger there. Absolutely. Listen, man. Thanks so much, guys. I hope that you haven't missed some of these really good lessons from scripture. At the end of the day. It's our goal, our, our task, our job to connect people personally with the living God through his word and to establish, help them establish faith, real faith in the testimony of the prophets. I hope, guys, you've enjoyed this conversation. I have. And God bless. See you guys.